Welcome to the Canacuck Podcast. We hope you'll be encouraged to have an I'm Third approach as you navigate family, leadership, and spiritual growth. If you're new to our conversation, welcome. It's so great to have you. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Canacuck Podcast. My name is Shay Robbins. I'm joined today by my teammate co-host, and watch this, water fountain visionary, Joe White. Ooh, I love moving water. Thank you. Joe, you have visioneered more water fountains than anybody I know. (laughs) When did you pick up this passion? I don't know. Shea probably is a little kid playing in the creeks. My brother and I were were little little woods rats. We roamed around the woods all the time and loved to play in the creeks. And sometimes when it rained, we'd make little dams in the driveway. And I've always been fascinated by moving water. Isn't that something? There is something about the sound of moving water. It's such a blessing. Yeah, and then, you know, as a, as a believer, we all know that the thought of living water and the thought of Jesus being the water that makes you never thirst again. When I see, you know, uh, moving water, whether it's artificially made or made, you know, by God, it, it just reminds me of the water that Christ gives. And it just makes you happy when you see water trickling over the rocks. What a beautiful intro. So we've got a fun conversation today, Coach. We're going to gain a little perspective from the Holy Land today. Oh, boy. That's right. So I want to set this up a little bit. You know, our the Canticook Institute, you know, has been in operation for 20-plus years now, and they, uh, as part of the program, have brought students and some families to Israel annually. So each spring they, they bring their students after, you know, probably six months of studying their Bible. And as I've heard it said, I've never been, but I always hear people say, when you go to Israel, it makes reading the scriptures go from black and white to color. And so it's a neat part of the program, something that we're super passionate about. And recently, earlier this spring, I taught at our church and on the parable of the leaven. And I, I love that passage. And the leaven is the idea that that yeast, when it comes in contact with flour in a batch of dough, that the influence of the yeast permeates everything that it touches. It influences and changes the nature and makeup of everything that it changes. It brings the dough to life. As we look at our world today, it feels like the gospel is losing ground. And I think part of that is just our access to all the bad news. As I began digging in to the leaven, I like I wanted to discover like what is happening in our world, like what is the gospel doing? And so I called a bunch of friends and reached out to them through FaceTime and WhatsApp, who are missionaries all over the world. And what I discovered was so exciting and so motivating. The gospel is advancing. And specifically, our guest today shared with me that he gave me a little background on. Jewish believers, so Jews that have placed faith in Jesus, uh, and what kind of the makeup is in the worldwide landscape today. And what I discovered as I began studying is in the 1940s, the Jewish believer population was around a quarter million, and most of that was in Europe. And when World War II broke out and the Holocaust essentially wiped out that population of Jewish believers— and so the population was effectively zero. Well, LifeWay just completed a new study and released it. The study actually surprised them, and it surprised a lot of the Jewish believers around the world, that that population is now over a million people. 
and you think about the Jewish population worldwide is somewhere between 15 and 17 million, that represents a significant percentage of overall Jewish population that are followers of Jesus. That shocked me that the leaven is moving and influencing and penetrating the Jewish people. And I just got so fascinated by that. And so, Joe, I'm excited for you to introduce our guest today because he is very skilled at communicating these things. Yeah, Shay, he's he's not Clark Kent, but he really tell us around Kanakuk, and and I'm just I'll sit here and choke down eleven in my throat. He's super in in every way except one. I'll share that in a minute. <laughs> uh, he really is a super husband. He really does an incredible job. I mean, he's a role model to all of us as a husband. He and Kat have been married since two thousand two, and he's just so great with with her. She's an awesome person. And he's a super dad. He's got four really marvelous, marvelous kids. And, and Shay's a super camp director. He and Keith Chancey direct K7. And boy, oh boy, the gospel is advancing at Canuck. The bell rings off the hook at K7. When a kid meets Jesus, the bell rings. And at night at K7, the bell rings and rings and rings and rings and rings. The gospel is not slow at K7 where Chad directs the camp. And then he and Keith uh, direct the Canuck Institute. And he leads 80 students in a remarkable way. He also leads his church. He's a great uh, teacher. Uh, now, the flaw is that he can't get his Cardinals to get to the World Series. <laughs> That's right. But Amen. other than that, I can't our, guest that. Is a, our guest is a superman. His name's Chad Hamps. Hey, Chad, welcome to the all, show. Yeah, only got so many hours in the day, right? Great introduction. Well, Chad, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. So, Chad, let's, let's kind of start at the beginning. Tell us about the history of the trip to Israel through the Institute. Great question. So, Shay, Joe, you know, really when the Institute started back in 2001, you know, we, we set out to help students understand their Bible and understand how it all fits together. And we quickly realized that for, for so many of this younger generation, the stories of the Bible are just that. They feel like stories but they almost feel like Aesop's fables, you know, like they're stories that are moral stories, but they're they're disconnected from reality, from history. They almost just feel like moral little little nuggets. And so we went, we 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 have got to get people to the place that these things happened. And so we quickly decided. So for almost every year that the institute's been running, we have taken this trip to Israel to really help the the students see and feel, experience the places where Jesus and the disciples did these miracles. So as a result, like what, what do you feel like the fruit has been? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And, you know, we just got back and even as I've had conversations with, with the students that went and and the parents and families that went, you know, their eyes are just so big, you know, their, their, their heart and their love for scripture is on fire because now every time they open their Bible and they read about Capernaum or Jerusalem, they have a, a picture of that place. They can see in their mind where Jesus stood in the synagogue in Capernaum. And it it literally brings the scriptures to life and it, and it roots them in history and real events, as opposed to just these, these far off moral stories. Okay. So Chad, for those of us who've never been on a trip like this, you're already like whetting our appetite. 
talk us through like, what are you actually seeing? What's the experience like? Yeah. Yeah. So let me give you kind of a snapshot of what we do. So we arrive and we immediately go to Caesarea by the sea. And that's where Paul made his defense before King Agrippa. And so you're immediately stepping into this massive auditorium where Paul most likely made his defense of the gospel. So you you step off the plane with this American mentality, and now you're standing among ruins that are 2,000 years old <laughs> and in the places that these events actually happened. Uh, from there, we uh, we go up to um, Mount the mountain area, and we're looking over the Jezreel Valley, which is where Elijah would have battled the prophets of Baal, where Armageddon will happen. Um, we cruise through, and we go to Nazareth, overlooking the village that Jesus was raised in, and over to the mount that he most likely was almost thrown off after being uh, teaching in the synagogue. You go up to Galilee, and it's like you're stepping back 2,000 years when you're in Galilee. It's this lush land full of, I mean, it's the land of milk and honey, and and people are often shocked at just how lush Hmm. the land really is. But but Galilee is very, it's still very antiquated. There's a small modern towns, but for the most part, you just feel like you're stepping back into the town of Jesus. And you're on uh, in Capernaum, which sits right on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And and you can stand on, on, on the edge of the water and you can see Jesus calling his disciples to follow him in the town he essentially lived in, the synagogue he taught in. You can visit Peter's house where they think he healed, you know, uh, the, the house where they think Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So you're in these places, and and for so many students, they're just like, it's just so real. Mm. It's just so real. And now as they come back and they're having their quiet time in the book of Matthew, every time they open it, they're like, now I understand why it said this. Wow. It is, and I'm just giving you a small snapshot, yeah, but as you can tell, I'm excited. Job, <laughs> by the way. It lights people on fire. Um, the geography is a, is a big one because, you know, so many times in the New Testament, you see um, Jesus say, I'm, I'm going up to Jerusalem. And you're like, hold on. He's already in the north. Why is he going up? But what you don't realize is that when you're in Israel, you always have to ascend to get into Jerusalem. It's the highest point in Jerusalem. Sea of Galilee is 100 feet below sea level. The Dead Sea is the lowest spot on the earth. Jericho is the lowest city on the earth. So to get to Jerusalem, you must ascend, which is what Psalms 120 through 134 are all about. The Mm -hmm. Psalms of ascent that they would sing and and pray as they entered into the holy city. So I I don't know if you can tell, but it it lights your fire. Wow. Chad, everybody walks away from their first trip to the Holy Land with a spot. And for the rest of their life, they talk about there was one place that just grabbed their heart and melted their heart. Oftentimes, there's lots of tears shed when somebody hits that spot. And for different students, it's a different spot. Can you can you recall a place on the tour when uh, either yourself or one of the students was just knocked out, transformed in a certain place? Is yeah. there a story? That- yeah, and you're right. It's, it's a little bit different for everybody, but um, I'll, I'll share just because my kids went this time, and we visit a an exact replica of the tabernacle in the desert. And there's a Messianic Jew, which is a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, walk through all of the symbolism of the tabernacle and how it's all pointing specifically to Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice. And even to hear my kids and these students 
talk about whole, just it all fit. It all came together. And that's not the place I would expect for that to happen for a lot of people. Um, the other place is there's a, there's a couple different places that they believe um, Jesus was crucified. Uh, the, the church of the Holy Sepulcher and then what's called the garden tomb. And uh, they're not sure which place it was, but you've been there. The garden tomb is a, is a really, really special place. Um, it's, it's a quiet place. And um, so many people, the reality of Jesus's death sinks really, really deep. God does some really, really cool heart work when people are in that place and have the space to, to slow down and to experience in their heart and their mind what Christ actually accomplished in that place. So, Joe, I'd love for you to answer that question. Do you have a spot that you recall upon? Yeah. You know, the older you get, the more you cry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just think about this place, and I, I start getting all choked up. Maybe five years ago, Michael W. Smith and I took a tour over there, and oh, my goodness, it was so stirring. Um, but uh, we ended up with this fabulous Israeli archaeologist named Edo and Edo was our guide, uh, best Old Testament scholar I've ever been around in my life, and also one of the premier archaeologists in the Holy Land. And Edo took us down under the city to the Praetorium. They call it the pavement, Gabbatha in the scriptures. And it's the place where uh, they're pretty convinced that Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate when he was uh, pronounced um, as one who would be crucified. And I don't know, man, I just I just started bawling my eyes out. And I ended up, you know, quietly on, over on the side, just laying there on my tummy. And, and I looked to my left, and I could just see his feet and his dirty sandals standing by my side, and I could see the blood running down his ankles, uh, just standing there, innocent as a lamb, and yet pronounced uh, to be the lamb to be sacrificed. Um, and, bro, I couldn't get up. I just—the tour had to go on. <laughs> I just stayed there for a while and fell in love with Jesus in a whole new way. Wow. Chad, I think about, you know, as you're, you're, you're speaking with so much passion, I'm brought to James 1, and I think about the man or woman who's in doubt that's like a— wave in the sea that's tossed to and fro by the wind. What does this trip do in regard to doubts connected to faith, reliability of scripture? What have you seen? What have you experienced? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as you know, Shay, that a lot connects with my story because I grew up in the North, very much a skeptic of the things of the Bible. And so I think for, for a lot of our younger people in particular, most of what they know about the Bible is really the 30 years of Jesus's life. They, for most people, they don't know the Old Testament. They, you know, they haven't experienced those things. And so if the Bible is just simply a religious book, then it deals with religious issues, but it doesn't really, it, it's not really supported by other things. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of my life goals is to show people that the Bible is reliable, not just spiritually, but in every aspect and every aspect of faith and life and history and archaeology. And so when people go to the Holy Land and they can they can measure the claims of scripture against what they're actually seeing and seeing, holy cow, like these aren't just stories. 
these are historical documents of things that actually happened. And now their understanding of the, the story of God is not 30 years of Jesus's life. It's the 10,000 years of the scriptural narrative. And they see that, that God has been faithful from beginning all the way through the promise to the person of Jesus. And as we wait his return, he's going to continue to be faithful. And so mm. it adds what Psalm 1 talks about, deep roots, right? That, that we have, we're like street trees planted by streams of water. And, um, and it gives people this deep understanding of God's abiding faithfulness that has stood the test of time and will continue to. And if the Bible is true, it will always stand the test of time. Chad, what's going on, just the, the political tensions, and how do you see the, um, seems like, everlasting political tensions in the Middle East, it seems like? How do you see that fitting into your worldview of eschatology and yeah. Jesus' yeah. return? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and Shay hit on a couple of these things. But, you know, the old city of Jerusalem, as you know, is just such a unique melting pot. You basically have all three religions that claim one God living in the same 2000 square, you know, whatever, however big the old city is. So Islam, Christianity, Judaism all have this really, really emphasis on Jerusalem. And um, there's fascinating things happening in Israel right now. And if, if I can geek out a Would little bit. Would you please? Yeah. Shay touched on this about how the gospel is moving in the Middle East and specifically in Israel. So um, over the last 10 years, and, and I'm going to talk about one ministry in particular, one called One for Israel, has started producing uh, videos of Jews that have come to Yeshua or Jesus as their Messiah. And it is spreading like wildfire. And what's fascinating is just this week, two Orthodox Jews in front of their uh, parliament have put in legislation to eliminate the ability for Christians to share the gospel in Israel. Wow. I'm getting choked up. Because the gospel is spreading so rapidly among Jewish people. And if you look at the statistics specifically about millennials, our age uh, folks, they're more open than ever to Jesus actually being God. And so there's all these digital media platforms that that are being used uh, not only in Israel, but in Muslim countries as well, all the way back to the Muslim spring that are the gospel is getting to the Middle East and um, and it's impacting things in, in a really, really powerful way. And one of my favorite things as you look at church history is the gospel, for whatever reason, has always moved powerfully from east to west. It huh. always has. Started in Jerusalem, moved to Europe, eventually to Mexico, North America. And now today, the biggest movements of the gospel are moving back towards the Middle East, where South Korea, Russia, Thailand, Iraq, Iran, Palestine. There's all kinds of Christian followers uh, of Arab heritage in, in Palestine as well. And so God is moving. And um, I know we can get discouraged, Shay, what you were talking about earlier, but man, the gospel is moving in really, really powerful ways. And, and we have more Jewish followers of Jesus right now than we have at any point in the history of the world. That says something that God is doing towards yes, the does. end. As it goes in the Middle East, uh, Shay, and hitchhiking on what Chad is saying, the fastest growing church in the world per capita is Iran today, mostly through women believers. China's second, but Iran is first. Uh, where the gospel has been squelched. One very knowledgeable writer 
who writes with knowledge of the leaders around the Middle Eastern world. When the Shah was ousted in 1979, there were some 500 Christians in Iran, and now some people say as many as 7 million believers in Iran. Um, and the exciting thing, you know, I get a chance to meet with Arab leaders from around North Africa and around the Middle East a couple of times in Cairo at a couple of leadership summits that we've done. And I've heard from these leaders from a, a good share of the Muslim world who come into these summits uh, where we get to go over and encourage uh, these, uh, these Christian leaders that millions of Arabs, and this is from the mouth of the leaders from, from the Arab world, are seeing Jesus in their dreams at night. It's one concert of the same story while they're sleeping without asking. Jesus appears to them in their dreams, and from that moment, they become devout believers. And as Chad said, they become evangelists in their own Arabic language. Our guide, Chad Edo, when we were over uh, just a few years ago, a devout Jew, a big, beautiful, 60-year-old, one of these guys you just want to just give a, a big hug to when you see him, just beautiful, robust, giant Israeli beard and great big smile and beautiful sparkly eyes. And I asked him to tell us his testimony when we were in Jerusalem, and he shared the night after he'd lived in terror for 20 years because he had been a, a Navy SEAL for Israel back in his early 20s. And so he said, I went to bed in terror every night for 20 years. And he said, I was afraid to go to sleep at night because I would relive all these horrible things that I'd experienced as, an, as a special ops soldier for Israel back in my younger days. But he said one night after 20 years of terror, he said, I saw Jesus. And he said he brought peace over my life. And in cold, bold honesty, he said, I've slept in peace ever since. Wow. The gospel is, as Chad says, Jay, it is on fire across the Middle East. Okay, Chad. So circling back, how does this fit into the biblical narrative? Where are we at? That's what's really fascinating about what's happening right now. Specifically, Coach already talked about Iran. So, you know, we, t we talk about radical Islam a lot. Now there's this new version called apocalyptic Islam and apocalyptic Islam is actually waiting for a Messiah. Wow. Fascinating. I mean, I don't know if no it gives way. you chills, but, wow. but they're literally waiting for a Messiah. And then you talk to your Jewish brethren, what are they waiting for? The they're Messiah. waiting for a Messiah. As believers, who are we waiting for? The return of our Messiah. Messiah. And so there's a messianic hope, some rooted in scripture, some not rooted in scripture. And yet everybody's waiting for this event to take place in the place we just came from. And there's this massive messianic hope. And then as coach was saying, I, I just think you have a world that, um, that is desperate for peace. And we don't find peace in, in a lifestyle. We find peace in a person. Mm. And that's what Hebrews 4 talks about, right? That we would come into his final rest. That is a message as believers we can share. And uh, it's beautiful when our Jewish brothers come to faith, because as a Gentile, we come to faith. It's like, wow, this is crazy. When a Jew comes to Jesus, they come home. Mm. They come home. They come to their Messiah. And there's something really special. And I think that's what Romans 9 through 11 is talking about, that the crown jewel of the gospel will be when Israel comes back to his Messiah in full. As believers, we love 
our Jewish brothers and sisters. They're in our hearts. And it's so comforting to read Romans chapter 11, where it tells the story, the whole story in one chapter in the Bible of how for just a short period of time, that's the age of the church we're living in, just a short period of time, God blinds the Jew. God uh, prunes the olive tree, mm -hmm. the tree of God's knowledge, the tree of faith uh, that was always with the Jewish people. But then for a short period of time, Romans 11 says, he sort of prunes the tree mm -hmm. so that he can graft in the Gentile branch. Praise the wild God branch, right? That he does that, the wild olive branch. That's us. But then it says, will come a day, and we think soon, potentially, when it says all Israel will be saved. That fires me up. The day will come when every eye will see and every knee will bow, and the Jewish nation will become believers in Jesus Christ. How sweet that the original branches will be grafted back into the root oh, it's with the wild branches read. under one man. It's, it's awesome. Boy. Now we got Joe geeking out over here too. This is great. What what a story. So let's take this. I mean, there's been a lot of heart in this. With this information, Chad, like what does a Western believer do with this information? How do you take it from the head to the heart? Yeah, well, I'm going to start by, by saying what your illustration was, because I think in the Western world, there's a tendency to have a, a, a spiritual life and a secular life. And that's not how the rest of the world does it. Like if you're a, if you're a follower of something in the Middle East, you're all of that. And I think the word picture for us as Western believers is, are we allowing the yeast to impact the entire dough? Mm. In, in other words, is the gospel encompassing everything about my life? Am I giving Christ access to everything in my soul? Or am I living out Christianity on Sunday when I go to church, but when I go to the workplace, I leave the gospel at the door? And that's not what we're called to do. And so I think that's the challenge is that these stories, these events, these things are real. Let's go live like they're real. Let's go make them a part of our everyday life. That would be my challenge. Great challenge. Joe, I want to hand it off to you for the final word. Yeah, here we go with a lump in the throat. And Jesus' final words on that famed Thursday night, just before his crucifixion, when he gathered his 11 best friends in the upper room, and just before he goes into his final prayer in John 17, his last words to the 11, after Judas had already taken off and done what Ju Judas had to do, he said, you know, in the world you'll have tribulation, but in me, you'll have peace. In me, you'll have peace. While the world is in chaos, it feels like some days, uh, in Christ, he promises that it will have peace. And he said, you know, I've, I've overcome the world. And, and just like our guide uh, who closed his eyes one night and saw Jesus, and he had peace, and he's had peace ever since. And just like our uh, now Christian brothers who were once Muslims around the Middle East who closed their eyes one night and they saw Jesus and they had peace. Uh, so, so can you and so can I. Whatever your world is doing, whatever 
anger, worry, fear has been stirred up in your heart lately as you watch the events around your home and your life. You can close your eyes and rest and see Jesus in your meditation on his word. And in, in those meditations, the Bible promises you'll have peace. And so as Jesus said, take courage, listeners, because in a chaotic world, he's overcome. And in him, you can rest in peace. Chad, I want to thank you for spending some time with us. You are a busy man and you have blessed us today. And I want to thank our listeners for sharing their time with us today. We hope today's conversation serves to fuel your I'm Third approach to family leadership and spiritual growth. And with that, we would love to pray with you. Lord Jesus, we just come to you and we lift up our listeners with happy, joy-filled hearts. And we pray, God, that, that today's perspective on the leaven in the kingdom of heaven would be a blessing to them, that it would be uplifting, that it would right their perspective. And we just pray, Father, that we could be the kind of people who allow just your powerful work to influence every part of our lives and then to in turn pass that influence on to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope today's conversation left you encouraged, strengthened, and empowered. If you haven't had a chance, please subscribe to our podcast today to stay up to date with the latest episodes. If this podcast has helped you in any way, please consider rating us, writing a review, or sharing it with others so we can continue to build you up with an I'm Third approach to family, leadership, and spiritual growth. For more information about the podcast, visit canacuckpodcast.com. And for more information about Canacuck, you can visit canacuck.com. Thank you.